guys, we're back. All right, so we just wanted to say thanks for listening so far to our stories and our episodes. I know that we've been blabbing a lot about my past personal health journeys, but we find that it is really important for you guys to understand our backstories. And in the future, once we wrap up kind of my health healing journey, then we're going to actually have specific health topics and how to guide so you can help heal yourself moving forward. But we just have a few more episodes left of the health journey, and then we'll really dive in to help you take control of your health. Sound good? So glad that you're on for the ride. (laughs) Because we're going to keep going whether you're in or not. (laughs) All right. So we left off talking about adrenal fatigue. And today we're really going to dive into food sensitivities versus food allergies. And in addition, my journey with SIBO. So when I first started going to my functional medicine doctor, as you guys heard, the amino acids really helped. Then I had to get um, in more detailed into my diet. So like we talked about in the last episode, I really focused on a building diet. I had a lot of bone broths to help heal my leaky gut. And then in addition, I was eating protein at every meal. And I was really balancing out the protein versus the fat and the carbs. So at that time, I was still a little neurotic, obviously. I just got off 13 years of Adderall. So I definitely was weighing out and measuring my food, which I don't suggest. No, that's (laughs) called enhancing your adrenal fatigue. Yes. And so I at least was eating the, got protein back in my diet, but I was having a really hard time with my digestion at this point because on Adderall, as you know, you can eat whatever you want and you're consistently burning calories and then you go from an extreme metabolic state down to not burning probably one-tenth of the matter of calories and then trying to eat a balanced diet without gaining weight and getting my digestion to function, I kind of hit another wall. And so to touch back on what Adderall does to your GI system is it's it's a stimulant. It's an, it's an, it's an amphetamine. So it's ramping everything up. You take it away and it says, I don't really know what to do. So not only does your metabolism change, but your ability to digest and absorb food also changes as well. So coupled with stress and everything else here, we're going through micronutrient deficiencies and vitamin deficiencies, a lack of hormone production and neurotransmitter production, your body was screaming at you. Yeah. So I definitely, like I said, had that crazy cabinet full of supplements. There was definitely no IV stores back then. So (laughs) I definitely was having to pound the supplements and take them on a daily basis. (laughs) And then we look at the compounding effects of taking 20 or 30 pills a day. What does that do on your GI health and on your digestion primarily? Because you have to break down every single capsule that the, you know, powders and nutrients, whatever you're supplementing with is encapsulated and protect and and allow it to be absorbed in their correct place. So not only do you have a poor gut, but you're taking 20 or 30 pills a day, which is also wreaking havoc in your gut. And my poor liver after being bombarded by Adderall for 13 years, in addition to all of these supplements, I don't think it ever got a break. No wine for you. A hundred percent. There was no, it was impossible for me to even drink wine at that point, nor did I even crave it because of how bad my leaky gut was. Literally a couple sips of wine felt like toxins. I felt like death just even from that, like half a glass. Yeah. Your body was 
trying to rid itself of every other other substance you were putting in. And the role of the liver is to detoxify and really clean, clean your body. And, you know, we know um, you mentioned briefly on a prior episode about your immune system, and we know that your liver plays a huge part in your immune system. So even symptoms of just general fatigue, you can notice when your liver is sluggish, you feel, uh, you just in general feel sluggish. You don't have that vitality, you don't have that pep. So detoxing your liver is of of primary importance, especially when you're taking all of these different supplements and, uh, you know, all of the prescriptions that you had been taking for 13 years. Yes. Not to mention that hazy, hazy fog over my head where it was definitely a state of like depression per se. It was, a you know, where you don't have that dopamine high. You are relying on food for that nutrient, but you can't have sugar. So you're literally trying to navigate this like whole new way of living and like function as an adult again, where you just probably, I feel like I reverted back to my high school teen teenage immaturity when I got off of it. Yeah. So that's a whole nother story in itself, (laughs) which we won't tap into today. But I think the hardest thing for me, like I said, was really getting my digestion functioning again. And from that is how it ultimately led me to get my food sensitivity test. Um, So we'll let Megan dive in the difference between food sensitivities and food allergies. The first test I ever did, I actually came out with the blood work of 30 food sensitivities. Do you remember what type of test it was that you took? I don't. It was like 10 years ago, but it was definitely a full blood draw. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I mean, food sensitivities get, um, um, they're, they're not always well uh, credited in terms of the knowledge that they provide. But when you're looking at gut health and uh, finding out the root cause of inflammation, they're incredibly beneficial. A little differentiation between food sensitivities and food allergies is we look at food allergies. Um, typically, we see it like the nut allergy, peanut allergy, um, you know, seasonal allergies. Those are all very different from food sensitivities. So when we look at your inflammatory and immune response, we have three main components that we look at in immunoglobins, which are proteins that your body responds to to help, you know, essentially fight off a, a target or foreign body. And we see that, you know, food allergies, Uh, create an IgE-mediated response. Uh, But when we look at food sensitivities, we're looking at IgG and IgA. And so those are different types of immune reactions that we're able to detect um, from different foods. And so when you have IgA activation within uh, your body, you typically have things like bloating, indigestion, uh, foul-smelling stools, sometimes constipation, and sometimes, you know, things like diarrhea. So even though you may be eating a food, it can take sometimes up to 12 hours for this to impact your uh, your gut. And so if you, you know, ate eggs this morning and, you know, this afternoon you develop, you know, foul-smelling stools, it actually may be from hours prior to the actual symptoms developing because it's not a true allergy. You don't have an immediate reaction to the food that you consumed. Um, where on the other hand, when you have IgG-mediated food sensitivities, it takes even longer for your body, re- body to respond. And sometimes that's even, you know, up to 72 hours, which is three days, which is a long time to go before having a reaction to a type of food. So when you have IgG uh, activations of food sensitivities, you have a systemic response. So those symptoms may be like brain fog, fatigue, um, you know, headaches, 
um, changes in your skin, rash, eczema, um, you know, really kind of anything. A lot of times people will also experience joint pain, um, anything really that's, that's systemic or global in your body. And those can, you know, start to begin or react in two to three days. So even though, you know, food journaling and food diaries can be beneficial, it's almost impossible to tell which foods you truly need to be eliminating from your diet without a food sensitivity test, because it can take, you know, anywhere from one to three days in order to notice symptoms from foods you may be, se- may be sensitive to. And really the primary importance for checking your food sensitivities is to understand and remove those foods that you are sensitive to, because what's happening when your body um, is in contact with those foods, it creates an entire activation of your immune response which subsequently uh, develops inflammation. And we all know that inflammation causes autoimmune disease and it causes things like cancers um, and chronic disease. So if we can eliminate inflammation, we can eliminate um, really your body as a host for any sort of disease. So food sensitivities are important to check because what they're doing is eliciting inflammation in your GI tract. And so if you want to repair your gut um, and, and repair that gut, while lining, we have to remove the foods that are causing inflammation when you consume them. And a lot of times it's foods that I recommend on a daily basis, like avocado, olive oil, um, you know, good foods like salmon and tuna, um, and even things like, you know, depending on what type of food sensitivity test you get, it may even be things like coffee and uh, ginger and turmeric and different types of spices. Um, But we know the more uh, leaky or the more permeable your gut is, the higher amount of sensitivities you're going to test positive for. So if you eat blueberries every day in your your morning smoothie and you have a leaky gut, you most likely have um, an inflammatory response when you do consume those foods uh, rather than, you know, anti-inflammatory uh, effect like blueberries particularly provide because they're so high in phytonutrients, which uh, which are actually great for anti-aging and longevity. Uh, but, you know, unless you test, unless you can accurately detect what foods are causing inflammation, it's really hard to know uh, how to actually begin to decrease that inflammation within your GI lining. Yes. And so I think what people always do wrong is that they think, oh, but I don't eat gluten and dairy. I'm good. And I, I don't, I avoid sugar. And those are amazing first steps to partake in in your diet, but it's not going to ultimately affect like Megan is talking about all of those little triggers that you're having. So for me, it, it was even things like spinach and cucumber and like green beans. And how sad is that? I mean, like you think you're eating healthy, but you're still ultimately causing that inflammation, which for me ultimately led to my hash So that's where my, you know, my thyroid just started going downhill quickly. Right. And so we know that from your experiences, it's just a compound effect. You know, so many times I hear people say, I've started on this health program and a health journey and all of these things are coming. I feel worse now than I ever did. And it's when we, you know, eliminate and remove toxins, so many times people start to feel worse before they begin to feel better. Uh, But that's part of really the healing phase and uh, giving your body what's it's it's once been depleted of so encouragement uh don't get uh, discouraged when you, you know, your acne gets worse before it gets better. Your energy uh, gets worse before it gets better. This is all very good signs that your body is detoxing and that you are supporting your body and truly giving it what it was uh, lacking. 
Yes. And like Megan has said previously, it's like, this is a journey. It is an experience and you have to take every day by day because you will drive yourself crazy otherwise. So definitely don't think this as an overnight fix. Don't think when am I going to be able to have like my bottle of wine tonight again, or my bag of fries again. <laughs> it's like, you really have Not French fries. <laughs> you really have to take the time. And, you know, I always tell people at least think of it as like 30 days if you can't think longer than that. If it makes you have a panic attack, it's like give yourself 30 days and just like go from there. <laughs> How many days does it take to incorporate a new habit? 21? I guess everybody's different, but there is the saying. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, for me personally, you guys, this process of getting off the Adderall, like I spent that first like six months doing that cleanse when I was in Charleston. I got out to California. I started working with these doctors and, you know, it took a good year for me to even just feel feel like a normal human being again, as far as my neurotransmitters firing, not feeling so depressed, not being so sad, and then actually having the energy to do things without Adderall. I mean, I was still functioning, I was still working, but you really do have to find that time to rest and allow yourself to heal. From that, we're going to dive in a little bit to SIBO. So as I was healing my gut, doing all of these amazing food protocols that we'll have a whole episode on and really a how-to guide for you, ultimately, the, the functional medicine doctor that I was working with was like really upset that I was avoiding carbs. and But I kept stating like every time I eat them, I get really bad brain fog or I get really sluggish or I just can't function. And that's where they forced me. They kept saying, well, you, that's an eating disorder habit you're only doing it because you're you're afraid of gaining weight. And I was like, no, it's not that. I was like, I really feel awful when like, I trust eat it. Me. <laughs> I was like, there's something wrong. And so, you know, you really have to own it. Like, yes, there's going to be blood work. Yes, you're not going to, your, your doctor is going to have a lot of great advice for you and they're going to be able to support you. But sometimes you know when something's not right and you really just need to be able to express that because yes, I needed carbs, but at the same time, the amount of carbs they were forcing me to eat was making my gut health and my overgrowth and bacteria worse, which is ultimately, I believe, led to SIBO because of how bad my digestion was. But we'll dive in now about what small intestinal bacteria overgrowth is and what to look out for. Um, really, when we look at our digestion, it starts in our mouth. Our uh, saliva actually does contain digestive enzymes to um, help trigger our body to know that you're. I'm going to be sending food down here in just a brief period of time, um, so get ready. And it obviously ends at elimination or when we poop. <laughs> so we think about from our mouth to our anus is our GI tract, or you know, our I guess not. It's not our gut. It's our GI tract. It's it's our digestion process. So one of the things uh, that it's very well studied, thankfully, is the, the bacteria in our gut. And we have, oh, I can't remember the science, uh, billions, billions of bacteria in our gut. We have uh, more DNA of the bacteria in our body than we do in our own genes. We are literally a host 
for our gut microbiome, which is the types of bacteria that survive in our body. We have more gut bacteria DNA than we do of our own. So it's crucially important to understand not only the balance, but the type and the diversity of bacteria that we have going on. And so, you know, the, the big fad, you know, I'd say in the last five to six years is probiotics. Everyone should be on probiotics, but we know there's this, uh, this GI disorder called SIBO, which is the uh, discretionary between the bacteria that should be in your large intestine is actually moved up into your small intestine. And we know that the only thing that happens in your small intestine is the absorption of vitamins and nutrients from your food. So go ahead and put the wrong types of bacteria into our small intestines, and we create a whole host of, you know, digestive problems and issues. So uh, SIBO is just really kind of the mixture of the wrong types of bacteria in our small intestine. So, you know, the, the treatment for SIBO is a type of antibiotic, and I know it has been difficult to get in the U.S. It's rifampin, and it is, uh, I think, a little easier to find in Canada. Mm -hmm. um, and cheaper that it, way. Yeah, um, it's a pretty expensive treatment. Um, and, and truthfully, uh, you know, there's a lot of false positives on SIBO. People go through treatment, they notice very few improvements, um, and it's truly because the antibiotics don't just kill the bacteria that are in it's in the wrong place. It's we have to correct the problem, and it's not an easy fix. It doesn't just take one course of antibiotics to go away. Um, as Adair said, you know, she needed to change her diet pretty drastically, but she wasn't feeling well from you know carbohydrates and things like that. So yeah, so some of the side effects that you can kind of pay attention to is you, know, you might be a person that gets extreme bloating. So for me personally, I would wake up and I would feel really skinny and my stomach would feel super flat. And then all of a sudden you start eating throughout the day and you look like you have this like food belly baby happening. Or for me, it was also really bad swelling in my hands and feet. And you would get, I personally got extreme gas. Some people get diarrhea. My side effect was more co major constipation. But again, everybody is definitely different. And that's when I had to, I, and I personally gained a lot of weight during that phase because I wasn't eliminating properly. I was just so full and bloated. My brain fog got really bad, but I was listening to the doctor and she's like, you need your carbohydrates, like your healthy carbs, even though it was things like sweet potato. It was just, I wasn't eliminating. And it, the food combination was like a nightmare for me. It was like the protein and the carbs together, which is causing extreme gas. It just ultimately was disastrous for me. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> and kind of going on why the scientific reason behind, you know, Adair's symptoms, you know, we look at, uh, you know, the basis and the foundation of your, your, your gut being developed and born premature, um, it may not have the full time to, you know, allow the development of it. And one of the big things that I see in patients who suffer from SIBO is a lack of hydrochloric acid production. And I want to reassure you that hydrochloric acid is incredibly beneficial. It's not going to cause you to get heartburn or get ulcers. This is the natural acid that's produced in your stomach that is needed to digest and break down foods. And the two big foods that require increased hydrochloric acid production are proteins and fats. And so when eating those types of foods, you oftentimes get, as Adair stated, intense bloating after you eat and your stomach is flat in the morning because it doesn't have any food. But as soon as you start eating, even if it is healthy foods, you have a lack of digestion aid or acid to break those foods down. And once it leaves your stomach, it hits the small intestine and your stomach has one job and it is to break food down.
once it hits the small intestine, your intestine doesn't have the capability to break food down. So the food particles are too large and your primary role of the small intestine is simply to absorb nutrients. So when your small intestine is getting food particles that are too big for it, it's not going to absorb those nutrients and say, yeah, uh, no, excuse me. Uh, this is too big for me to recognize. You should be digesting this more and in turn cause almost immediate bloating uh, once you consume food because the food particles are not di getting digested properly and are being sent into the next phase of absorbing the nutrients um, and it's the wrong process or the, the, pro the process isn't being effective. So oftentimes from SIBO, it starts with a lack of hydrochloric acid because you're not breaking your foods down entirely and then it gets sent on to your small intestine and your large intestine is pushing up different types of bacteria and acid to facilitate in the digestion process when in all actuality, no digestion is supposed to be happening in your small intestine. Yes. And it's an awesome point too, to realize don't confuse that with having like heartburn because actually having that acid reflux does not mean you have too much stomach acid. It's actually the opposite. Exactly. You don't have enough. Heartburn actually comes from a lack of stomach acid. So within your stomach, you have these cells called parietal cells. Parietal cells actually submit uh, and secrete hydrochloric acid, but when they have become essentially dulled, um, they're no longer effective. So when you eat food or consume any sort of substance, your body does an overexcretion because the parietal cells are dulled and they can't sense how much acid is actually present in your system. So they will in turn overproduce acid and that's why you get the heartburn. So um, in my clinic, I actually treat heartburn with hydrochloric acid. Heartburn is simply a lack of hydrochloric acid production, believe it or not. Love it. And just remember everything in balance. <laughs> so just because you now hear that you can start taking hydrochloric acid to help that, do not overdo it. <laughs> yeah. Same with any other supplement that we're talking on here is like, again, everything in balance. And I think one of the biggest things too that relates to SIBO of me overdoing with the supplement form was that at that time, I was taking a ton of probiotics. So one, not only was I not digesting my food, I wasn't eliminating my food. I was adding in addition to the bacteria that I was creating from the fermentation of my food. I was taking all those probiotics, which was just adding more bacteria. So don't forget you're having the good and the bad bacteria overgrowth. And so that's what ultimately was causing so much gas. And when we get to our section about how to really dive in and treat SIBO, you have to be careful about the probiotics you're taking because it can actually feed your SIBO. Absolutely. Because uh, what we're doing is just putting all of the bacteria in the wrong place. So uh, if you notice that you're taking probiotics and, and you're still experiencing bloating, really get a, a good look into understanding if, if you do have a lot of these symptoms to test. And the one way to test is through the breath, a breath test in which can can tell you whether or not you do have the small intestinal bacteria overgrowth. Yes. So ultimately at this time, you know, I was really focusing on my food sensitivities. I was really focusing on the clean diet. I was really focusing on healing my gut lining. And ultimately when we dive into the SIBO process, I did multiple rounds of the reflaxamin. I did multiple rounds of the herbs and it, it I couldn't kill it. It was like a huge ordeal for me. And it took two, I think over two and a half years to get rid of the SIBO. Yes. Was I slowly feeling better? A hundred 
100%. But what we want to dive into next was just the different protocols out there that we'll have in a, a guide to the, which ones we think would be best. But let me tell you some things that I did wrong as you go find a doctor to work with or a gastroenterologist or whoever you decide to help you in this journey. And let this be a tool to really fast track your health. And the vetting process of going through the healing phases is really being simplified for you kind of throughout, you know, the rest of these episodes so that you don't have to spend the thousands of dollars and hundreds of potentially doctors and facilitators of of people who you're going to answers for. Yes, because, you know, we're learning new things every single day. So it's important that your doctor is up to date in research. It's important that you're not one of their first 50 people they're caring for in certain specific situations is like making sure they've really done it with a lot of different people because everybody has different reactions and everybody needs different requirements. So one of the things I felt like I did wrong is after going to a bunch of you know, functional medicine doctors finding out that I did have SIBO. And after I tried the prescription drugs and I tried the herbs and I couldn't kill it, I was really fed up. I started doing my own research. I went to this gastroenterologist. I just moved to LA and he wanted to, and he was a very well-known doctor and he was located out of Cedar sinai I thought he had a lot of amazing knowledge, but he wanted to put me on the eliminatal diet of, it's from Nestle and it had a ton of like what is it? Soy oil, like everything, like just the worst products. So it's like these nasty shakes that you could take. I think it, or maybe it was made by Hershey. I'm not sure, but it doesn't matter. But it's like literally something you order and it has, it's like $400. These shake boxes come and arrive. And then I actually read the ingredients once they got there and I was like having a heart attack. I was like, there's no way I'm putting these ingredients in my body. And I think I had to pay like even just like a hundred dollars to ship it back to restock it. And I was like, it's worth it. I'm not eating this stuff. And so then that's when I went online and found the homemade elemental diet where you are literally not eating food for two weeks and you eat manuka honey, like oil, and you take shots of these amino acids with vitamins. Did it help clear my gut and help my brain bag? A hundred percent. Did I feel like a freaking dissolving, I don't even know, person? <laughs> yes, <laughs> I couldn't function. <laughs> So ultimately, I I hate to even say it, but I did kill the SIBO after the two weeks of this, but it completely destroyed my metabolism and just other functionalities of my body. So I do not recommend you going out and doing this. I think now they have such better herbs and supplements and, you know, faster things to amp it up a little bit more, but make sure you really are working with someone when you're trying to kill the SIBO because doing this on your own is not something that will get you there. Yeah. And although I'm not a, a huge proponent, but in the, in the right instances and scenarios, the antibiotics can can be beneficial and there's 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 two antibiotics that I think if you're going to go on and you might as well go on both of them. So um, antibiotics can be beneficial to some degree, um, but also making sure you're working with a certified SIBO, uh, you know, expert or specialist if you are getting treatment. Yes. 
Definitely do your research. And when we do the how-to guide, we'll dive a little bit deeper into that. Yeah. And we'll link other resources too. Perfect. Well, that is going to wrap up our SIBO and food sensitivity episode. Fantastic. Stay tuned. We're going to dive further into the mishaps of Adair's health journey. We'll see you in the next episode. Ciao, ciao. Bye for now.